The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 97 for March 26, 2007. And here we go. Greetings folks and welcome to the uh, to the show. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. It's springtime. The, the birds are singing. And... Yeah, we got yeah. we got about four inches of snow on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> it was wow. gone by Sunday night. I mean, it wasn't quite four, maybe two or three. I don't know. Well, here, all the wretched ice is gone. And actually, I, yes. I was out... Uh... Putting around on my bicycle this hey, weekend. It was warm enough. So, That's good. Uh, it's, it's it's coming. That's good. We are back with a show uh, answering all your questions. If we have time, we have uh, a few tips, some that we found, some that you found, and uh, some that we found together. But if we go through everything that I've put on our agenda tonight, we'll, we'll be here for about an hour and a half. And only you know how long we've been here because uh, you, you can look at your iPod or iTunes or MP3 player and see but we don't know yet, so we're going to move as fast as we can uh, without skipping over here. Stop anything. yapping. Come on. Yeah, all right. Uh, Go. Some business first, though. The uh, Some of you may have noticed, some, some very astute listeners may have noticed that the feed URLs changed this week. It should have been a totally automatic thing. Uh, there are the proper 301 redirects and the iTunes uh, new feed URL tags are all filled out. Uh, just moving it from uh, MacObserver.com to MacGeekGab.com just to keep things clean and uh, allow us some more flexibility in, in the way we do things. Uh, along those lines, we figured we might as well open up uh, the, the feedback at MacGeekGab.com just to keep that clean, too. And uh, MacGeekGab ah, <laughs> Mac at MacObserver.com still works just fine, of course, uh, but I uh, figured I'd set that up just to just to have it there in any event uh we will move right into some of our questions as soon as i can get itunes here i get so busy talking and mm -hmm. here's scott hello this is scott jungren in still beautiful seattle washington and i had one more question and i forgot to leave my email at the end of the last one so i'm wondering if there's any way to specify which podcasts and their um, how they're downloaded. Like some of them I want to keep all my episodes and some of them I just want to keep the three most recent and have them have it automatically delete as they go. But as far as I can think of away from my computer right now is that it's always universal. It's always it's always download the most recent, the most recent unplayed and all that. But I'm wondering if there's any way to make each podcast specific. Uh, yeah, there there is. Uh, and, and I believe, John, you might be an expert in this. Oh, I don't know an expert, but if you consider writing a uh, Monday's Mac gadget, which is something that uh, I do occasionally, <laughs> I'll look for it every change. Monday, folks. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, we can try that. But anyways, um, so on January 9th, 2006, I did a review of this nice little program, an add-on to iTunes called Castaway, and it does exactly what Scott wants. Uh, the problem is, is the iTunes, although it does podcasts, the, the granularity of when things, when you check for things and when things go away is, well, it's not there. Right. It's, it's global. Yeah. 
All, all it's global. Nothing. So what you choose, so any choice that you make for how long things stick around or how long, how, how often you check for things applies to all podcasts, which, uh, and actually for, for my uses, um, you know, I typically leave it to like five uh, or so, get rid of, you know, just, you know, push them off after there's five there. That works. But, you know, for a lot of people that it, it that doesn't work. You, you may have, you know, as uh, Scott said, he has, uh, I guess, uh, you know, different type of podcast that he listens to. So Castaway, uh, suffice to say, will do this for you. It will let you set up, you know, per podcast, uh, a number of options, including, you know, how long you, you know, uh, I don't remember all the specifics, but it gets it down to uh, a level of detail per podcast rather than for all podcasts. So uh, how That's often right. you check, I would imagine. You know, no, how no, 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 not how often you can check. All right. But how long to keep them around? That's right. I think that's yeah. a that's a key thing. So as uh, you know, iTunes is pretty much one for all of them. This will let you set it up for different ones. Yeah, you you pretty much set iTunes to leave everything forever, and then you use mm -hmm. Castaway to manage each podcast. And it's actually cool because you can tell it. For example, with with Mac Geekab on my uh, MacBook Pro, I tell it to archive off the shows. And uh, it, you can you can do that again on a per podcast basis. So I have a nice little archive of the shows exactly as they're downloaded. Of course, I have them on the computer that we create them on here too. But uh, it, I've got the archive in a nice place that's automatically backed up and and all of that good stuff. So if there's shows that you want to keep forever, like you know uh, Pen Radio, now that it's gone, if you had archived all those, then you could listen to them and you could even send the ones that I haven't heard to me. You know, for example. But uh, but there you go. So yeah, so I see. Yeah, they have archive. They have a you know remove setting, uh, keep unheard, megabyte cap, uh, just a, a whole heck of a lot of things that you're not going to find in your uh, standard installation. So uh, check it out. And I think they just recently, because when I looked at it, it was one point seven point six, I believe, or one seven eight, and they just came out with a version two zero. So, on so, on St. Patrick's Day, no less. Wow. And uh, the company, I, I just like these guys, Wooden Brain Concepts, and they they have a little uh, tagline here. Agitprop marketing for our sensuous times, huh? You you want to leave that up to the listener as we move well, on? Agit, well, it could be an exercise, but agitprop is a political propaganda communicated uh, by art and literature. Nice. And that's all I'll say. But they, they also make a, a lot of other uh, really nice shareware, so uh, we'll link to these guys, of course. And uh, Of course. That right. answers that. Hi, John and Dave. This is James from Canada. I'm calling because I have an iSub and an Intel iMac. My first iMac was a G5, and it uh, died, and Apple replaced it under warranty, which was quite nice, except for my iSub no longer works when I plug it into the new Intel computer. I got a hold of Apple, and they've said that there's a driver coming. However, that was about a year ago, and nothing's happened, and now we're at 10.4.9, with no solutions. I've been trying to figure out uh, any sort of solution to get my iSub recognized in my sound preference pane and have come up with no solutions other than perhaps buying some external speakers which I really don't want to do. I want to keep my desktop nice and clutter free. All right. You're well, right. You know, you know what ahead. I do first, Dave? I would... I mean, I would imagine the sensible thing to do here would, would be probably to go to the, the vendor uh, site, right? I believe this is uh, Harman Kardon, right? Uh -huh. Maker of many fine audio products. So 
one would think that you could go to their website and kind of you know get get a little little detail on this. So w- would you think that's a reasonable assumption? Uh, uh, sure, I'll I'll play along. <laughs> yes. No. And actually, so before the show, Dave and I went through this, and uh, this is going to be a little mini rant. Is if you're going to offer information on your product, like specifications and help and all that. Uh, I, I don't know where to begin. So so I went to the Harvard Card site to try to find this. And the, 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 the thing that warned me that this would be an unpleasant experience is when we got to the, the product support section, if you could even find it, um, is that they show a nice pull-down menu where you can specify the name of the product. So you click on it, and you get, I, I forget the proper term, I think it's just a you know, scrolling menu. Pendulous. The, the list is pendulous. It they just goes list, on forever. They, they must have 500 products in there. So you, you got to be kind of skillful to, to stop the scrolling so you don't blow past the uh, ISUP entry. But if you go there, they have a link. Uh, most of them say, up, oh, link's broken, can't find that, link's broken, can't find that. And then they have a, a, a specification link saying click here for ISUB specs. And uh, I believe the information they offered was on the level of when the product was introduced and when it was retired. Don't forget the picture. Oh, and, and they had a very nice picture. So, I don't know. It, it's just a mini rant is, you know, don't let your support site rot and, and the information be useless or un, uh, not maintained. I found another site that... Uh, uh, welovemax.com, and they had more information than the product vendor had on their site. So they list a full list of, uh, you know, supported uh, platforms for the iSub. And so if you look here, you can get a hint that, oh, my, it's really not supported on my, my machine. And, and they talk about this. It's it's pretty much only well-supported on the uh, older Motorola machines. So you can kind of get an idea there. And, you know, he's found that, that the, there is no driver. Though I think, uh, Dave, you and I both did a little digging, and maybe you want to talk about... Um, what we did find yeah, I'll, uh, to I'll, help, I'll, our, help our friend here. I'll back clean up here. Uh, so the the gist is there is no driver available yet. Uh, perhaps one is coming. Forever. But yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, so the, the idea is, and there's a, a knowledge base on, uh, of course, on Apple's site that indicates this will not, the iSub will not work unless you have a pair of US or a set of USB speakers plugged in and set as the active speaker in your uh you know in your in your uh system preferences and then and only then will the iSub work now previously the iSub would work with the internal speakers that's not the case here uh with the Intel Max but it got me to thinking okay so what you could do is you could buy a really, really cheap set of USB speakers, and, and I've seen them, and I've seen some that actually have a little volume knob on them, like little travel speakers. You probably get them for like five or ten bucks. I got, I got one set as a, a Christmas gift this year, you know, just one of those gimmies kind of thing. And uh, so you get these, turn them down, and then use Audio Hijack to hijack your system audio and play it through both devices, right? So through both through your internal speakers as well as whatever's selected in the system preference pane, and that way you'd get the iSub thumping from the uh, from the internal from the external speakers being selected, and then the rest of your sound through the internal speakers, which presumably are better or at least less desk clutter, and you could leave the other speakers just you know sort of hanging behind. So the real trick would be mm-hmm. finding some sort of USB dongle that would emulate a pair of speakers, but not 
actually contain speakers and then that would allow the iSub to be used of course you'd have to use audio hijack pro and be a little geeky about it but we are the mac geek gab so we are afforded those options or at the very least we afford ourselves those options on the subject of speakers you know how i like a tie-in our first sponsor for this show is Audio Engine USA with the A5 speakers. These are desktop speakers. Uh, most certainly take up their uh, share of room on your desk, and rightly so. They ha have a huge sound. They've got two speakers in each cabinet. They are separate left and right cabinets, so you can get a nice stereo field going. Excellent frequency response. If you've already got a set of them, you could get another set. You know, let's say you got a set in the office and you want one for the house or vice versa, or maybe mm -hmm. you want one to plug into your Apple TV. Uh, the new the new model has a uh, five-way speaker binding post, which is gold-plated screw-down type thing that replaces the plastic spring clip speaker connectors found on the first round that, that John and I have. Now nice. they have direct subwoofer outs. It's a full-range output to go directly into a subwoofer if you've got uh, you know a, a powered subwoofer. If you need more low-end than these deliver, of course, on your desk, I, I find the low-end that these deliver is great, but perhaps if you were in the living room, you might want more... I, it depends on the size of the room. These things have a decent amount of low end. Uh, now they, they have both black and white, include all the same features. And the finish on the new black version is a semi-matte or satin finish, which is good for hiding fingerprints and scratches. Again, these are the Audio Engine spe A5 speakers available at audioengineusa.com. And that brings us to Ron's question about his iPod. Where he asked John and Dave, is there something wrong with my iPod? There are black lines on the time status bar that I only get on several of my downloaded pod podcast subscriptions, including yours. Is this normal with podcasts? I've never seen this till I started listening to podcasts, and it doesn't happen to all my podcast subscriptions. Any advice would be appreciated. Ron, you I are... Have, I have, oh, no, no. You know I the answer? There, yes, there is something wrong with your iPod, and you must send it to us. <laughs> don't expect it back no uh, so we, no there's an answer and and you can give it up well i'll say folks who have been doing audiobooks will, right. will would have recognized what was happening here because this is a feature that is a uh, common to audiobooks which is uh those lines actually indicate a chapter that's right all right uh, michael johnston takes this show and converts it very quickly i might add into uh chapters uh, in, into the enhanced AAC format. And that's the format that's by default available in iTunes. If you don't want the chapter marks or you want the show immediately upon coming out. Now, the AAC feed is usually up within, what, maybe seven hours of the show being posted mm -hmm. here on Monday night. And sometimes it might take an extra day. But, uh, but you know, it, certainly within a day, the the enhanced feed is out. It's got links in the... In the uh, if you're playing in iTunes, you've got live links and all that good stuff. But if you want the MP3 feed for whatever reason, uh, that is available. Just go to MacGeekGab.com or MacObserver.com slash podcast, and you'll see the links there for the MP3 feed that you can subscribe. It'll work just fine in iTunes uh, and all that. So that is... And I, uh, I, and I believe on the iPod, if you just hit the, I guess it would be the forward arrow. Yeah. Jump um, from chapter to chapter. That will, that will let you... Yeah. Instead of jumping song to song, which is what you expect if you're playing music uh this jumps to the next chapter and i think the ipod depending on the one you have will also show you the art that you were talking about that you normally see in itunes that's right yeah obviously the links aren't live on the ipod but that that probably yet. goes without saying yet yeah what a good idea we know nothing 
Well, just we really do know nothing. Speculating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least nothing about that. Uh, yeah, so we move on to Ken's question. And it is a pesky one. Hey, John and Dave. This hey. is Ken from New Jersey. Hope you can help me out. We too, too. Uh, been having a problem with iChat. When I start this system up and open up iChat, every time I try to initiate or receive either a voice or video call, the system crashes. I disconnect from AOL. And I have to reboot, which takes a little while. Not reboot the whole system, but reboot the application. After I reboot the application, I can send and receive and make uh, calls all day long. But it, it seems to happen every time the system is initiated from a cold start. Yeah, I've seen this too. Uh, and I've only seen it mm. on my Intel MacBook Pro. So I'm curious, Ken, if mm. you're using uh, an Intel-based uh, Mac there, and I've found the same thing that, you know, you, you go to answer a call or start a call and iChat just goes into spinning beach ball of death. Uh, the mm -hmm. only way to recover is to force quit and relaunch and then it's fine. Although it doesn't happen all the time for me. So I, I wonder if there's a cash cleaning issue or or something out there. If anyone has any thoughts, John, if you've got any thoughts, I know we talked about it before the show. So if you've had any thoughts in the last 20 minutes here. Uh, I have many thoughts. Do you? <laughs> any any on this particular matter? Uh, <laughs> uh, the only thing I'd, I'd, I'd offer is to, to try to find out who's causing the problem or what's causing the problem is to go to uh, our pal console in utilities. Uh, oh, I love the console. Look, because there's so much good information hidden in there. Yeah. So I'd say either the crash box that you get, I call it the crash box, that mm. comes up when something mm. fails, and one of the buttons... There's no crash box, head, by the way. It it just spins, and what? you have to force quit it. So. Oh, yeah. oh, you don't get a... Uh, no. Okay. You don't get a, this application is quit unexpectedly, blah, blah, blah. Ooh. Nope. Oh, those crashes really bother me. Yes. But the other thing is, if something's misbehaving before it, it totally goes down in flames, sometimes it may spit something out into the uh, the log. Yep. Uh, which would be, so, you know, you, you run the uh, console utility, and I think it's, uh, you know, tilde library logs, you'll probably see an entry in there somewhere, iChat. Yeah, or even even just bit. looking at the console log may may give, uh, or, or the system, you know, the messages log may give a good indication. Mm -hmm. This makes me kind of veer off, off the agenda here, John, and there's a, there's a product that I've tinkered with before. I don't know why I haven't re-enabled it on my MacBook Pro. I, I loved it for a while. A product called Geek Tool. Have you used it? No. The idea is it's a system preference pane, and what it does is it allows you to display uh, various things on your desktop, and one of the things can be the output of a log file, the live output of a log file, just magically appearing on your on the background of your desktop, or you can have it be a, a, a window that you know floats over all, but I used to have a bunch of logs on my desktop, and then... You can also have it display images live that it goes and gets from the web, you know, however often you want it to. And I was using some uh, server traffic grabs, some MRTG graphs, uh, just to, just so at a glance I could see what was going on. So Geek Tool, and we'll put a link, it's a, uh, there's a, a, pro a project page at tinso.org uh, for Geek geek Tool. So if, if you're if you're someone like me that enjoys looking at the console log, this is uh, this is one way to do it. So there you go. I think we have another question. I just need to get there. See, I, I got off. Mike. Uh, 
I got off track. Yeah, we'll talk to Mike. Hey, guys. It's Mike calling from uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Just had a quick question. Hey. Uh, I just Ooh, got the uh, Slingbox and uh, Pro, and I use that with my uh, MacBook Pro, and it works great. Um, easy setup, uh, really good product. Um, anyway, the question is, uh, you have to uh, set up uh, universal plug-and-play, UPNP, uh, for the Slingbox to work. And uh, I was trying to do some research to figure out if that uh, option was available on the airport uh, base station, the new base station. Um, I had read some form that says it wasn't available. Um, if you could uh, clarify this, um, that'd be great. Uh, my contact info. All right. UPNP. Well, I guess the uh, if we're talking the airport device, yes. then I airport think unfortunately the answer to Mike is he is uh, – Talking about UPnP, he is SOL, which stands for "Sorry, Out of Luck." Thank goodness um, we can retain the clean rating <laughs> on this show, John. Move along, please. Okay, so UPnP. What is UPnP? So one thing, it's it's kind of badly named because some people may it's universal plug and play, but it's not the plug and play that Windows advertised, which some people called it plug and pray because it didn't always work. But it, it basically. We'll forget about the Windows part here. we got to move right along. So UPnP, you know, I was trying to figure out what it was, Dave. So I thought, again, being a you know sensible type of guy, why don't I go to the UPnP page, UPnP.org, I think it is. Okay. To find out what the heck is UPnP. And, you know, I think you and I were both looking at it, and I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out what the heck it was. Well, I found it. I finally, page. when we were digging, I found a page here. L l let me read to you from this just, just to illustrate. Okay. okay. This, this goes back to your rant about Harmon and providing valuable information, the, the mm -hmm. kind of the five-second rule. Show me what you're <laughs> about within five seconds of me glancing at your page, and I'll read you this. The UPnP architecture offers pervasive peer-to-peer -peer network connectivity of PCs of all form factors, intelligent appliances, and wireless devices. The UPnP architecture is a distributed open networking arch architecture that leverages TCP IP and the web to enable seamless proximity networking in addition to control and data transfer among network devices in the home, office, and everywhere in between. I'd like to I'm thank to... these people for keeping us in business <laughs> because there is no way that this makes sense to people that need to know. You want to tell them in, in uh, 15 words or English? less what UPNP <laughs> English. There you go. Go. UPNP, for people that know what port forwarding is, which is uh, we spoke about in the past, but it's something that you do to your router to redirect traffic, usually from the outside to a machine on the inside that normally wouldn't have this port mapping done. Uh, UPNP is a way for application programs to ask a router to do this. It's a right. standard protocol, and the application says, hey, can you map your outside port on this IP address to the port on the inside to this IP address? And, and I think I pretty much got it there, that that's, that's what it. UPnP is. It's a port. It's, it's a way to automate so you don't have to sit there typing in all these arcane IP addresses and port numbers. Someone thought, hey, it'd be great to come up with a protocol where an application could ask the router to do this. As far as I know, that's what it is. So if you, Because if you take what you said before, Dave, from the web page and you filter out all the marketing speak, it, it basically equals zero. It, it means nothing. It means nothing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so – the idea um, is you've the got some device is... you've got some device that needs to receive traffic and you want it to tell your router which manages the traffic to send that traffic to the device and that's what UPnP does but what good is one standard when you can have two and because two is twice as nice and the airport base station supports a second 
very similar standard called NAT-PMP, which I believe is Network Address Translation Port Mapping Protocol. And, and it does the same. Boy. It does the same thing, but of course, devices need to be devices or applications need to be written to support both. Uh, the folks at Rogue Amoeba have done a great job explaining the nuts and bolts of this. If you want to read that, we've put a link to their uh, to their explanation in the show notes. But not every app supports both. If one supports NAT PMP, chances are it also supports UPnP. But uh, but the airport base station does not. It only supports NAT PMP. So people with Mike with your sling block sling box, you're out of luck, mm -hmm. unless you can. And I'm sure you can go on the web, figure figure out what ports need to be forwarded to the sling box, figure out what IP it's getting, and then uh, just manually forward those ports back to the uh, to the sling box. That's you know if if you can get from them the. If assuming they they assume standard ports, yeah, or the same port every time is required for the traffic, then yeah, right. he may be able to manually do a port forward. Now this is a reason. Although the airport, you know, I got to say, I mean, I've I owned airports for a few years, but I yeah. I found that uh, versus the competition, I mean, they they were pretty and shiny and they worked well with the Apple configuration utility. Sometimes they were lacking in features, as in this case, I don't know why they didn't decide to include UPnP is but and my understanding from reading on the web is even the latest airport uh, extreme which has a lot of really nice features like you know hard drive sharing and all that great stuff in 802.n doesn't support this protocol which from what I've seen in a lot of the software I use is pretty much the standard yeah. so I used uh, a Linksys WRT 54g with DDWRT which is an open source firmware so you have to reload the software on the router and the nice thing is, although from what I under, from what you told me, Dave, Linksys does support UPnP. The DDWRT firmware, which we link to, shows you, and that this makes it crystal clear what it's doing. Um, shows you a list of each of the ports and IP addresses that have been requested for UPnP access, which I think is That's a fantastic right. feature because then you can yeah. see. Because the only thing I'd say about UPnP is that if you have a rogue application. Or somebody wants to wreak havoc or hack into you, they could conceivably write an application which opens its open up, opens up bleh, all sorts of ports that should not. Be it's infectious. Up. So, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So that that's a, a feature that I think is great about DDW. And I look at these like I see a few. They're called IC, which I believe is iChat. And if yeah. you run some you know some uh, BitTorrent clients, they will show you in the description. You know, this one actually, I'm kind of disappointed they didn't say iChat. I mean, they have IC, but um, some other applications will say, will state their name as far as the description of why the port is being open, so you can really keep a close track. So yep. it's, it's so good for for example, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying for flexibility, it's great to have this feature, but it, it you know, it imposes a potential security risk. So I would say, you know, if unless you have a reason not to, to upgrade your firmware to something like DDWRT so you can see this list because it could be, I mean, th there could be all these ports open all over the place and you would not even know it. And that, that's one concern I would have about this protocol. Right. So, yeah, so I, I run the uh, DDWRT. And if Mike were to bring his sling block, sling, yeah, there it is. If Mike were to bring yeah. his sling box over here, uh, we could plug it in, get it set up, and then look in the list of... Uh, UPnP assignments and say, okay, here's the ports that the Slingbox has requested, and bam, you just take it home and 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 do those. And uh, of course, Mike's actually only one town over. I don't know if I want to invite everybody, but uh, you know, there you go. Mm. 
Maybe uh, you know, maybe the Slingbox folks can uh, send me one, and I'll just email Mike the list. So there you go. Yeah, or I'm I would sure imagine also. I mean, somebody. I'm sure has written something that looks like a UPnP client, which he could point his device to, and it would accept the request and list them out. Because I mean, if it's in, oh, the, like in a, the router, like a I'm dummy sure, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah, so a little program you run and you point your device at that, and it collects the request and shows you what ports it, it wants to open. Mm. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I I didn't search for that before the show, but I I uh, but we should. There may be something out there, or if one of our beloved listeners. Yeah, if you just if you know this. the ports, just send us the thing. We'll we'll email it to Mike, and uh, there you go. So okay. our our next sponsor is Smile on My Mac, and uh, you heard us talk about them a couple of shows ago. I, the, the The product that we're talking about here is called PDF Pen, and the idea is PDFs are great things. They allow us to pass data back and forth, but the one thing you can't do is you really can't manage them without something big like Acrobat, or, and even then you're, you know, you, you're somewhat limited. What PDF Pen allows you to do is a lot of things, actually. You can take a bunch of PDFs and combine them or split them or both. So let's say you wanted three pages from, from one PDF and four pages from another. You could put them all together as one solid PDF and send it off. You can add images and text to PDFs. So let's say you've got a PDF that's a form, but it it's not set as a form that you can fill out. You can you, you can use PDF pen to fill out the form. I've done it. It works great. If you have a scan of your signature, you can actually paste that in. So if you've got to, you know, sign something and fax it back, you don't even have to. You just save it as a PDF and back it goes. You can obviously reorder or delete pages and uh, it, it assemble things back and forth. If you've got PDFs of all sorts of different projects and contracts and you just want to lump them all together, this is certainly one way to do it. I know uh, one one company actually had a bunch of their uh, magazines that they had sent out and they wanted to compile them into one big long do electronic document. And so they went into all the programs that they used to create the magazines, printed to PDF, and then assembled it as one with PDF pen. Fantastic stuff available at smileonmymac.com, PDF pen. And that, nice. moves, that moves us along to Eugene. And Eugene writes, I wanted to ask you about a problem I have using mail. Every time I use the bounce option to opt out from annoying mailing lists, mail will freeze for about two to four minutes and give me the spinning wheel. Then it will either do the job or crash and restart. Are you aware of any bugs? I can't find anything relevant on the web. I have a MacBook Core 2 Duo, 2 gigahertz. Let me ask another question, but we'll talk about this one first. I've seen this too. Um, there's a couple of things that cause it. One is if you have imported um, certificates for your email addresses, you can, for those of you that don't know, with Apple Mail, you can bring certificates in that allow you to uh, digitally sign and then if you have someone else's signature, encrypt messages that you're sending back and forth. And mail provides all the provisions for doing this. You just click a button and bam, it's done. But I've seen it where that can slow down mail and, and I've heard reports from others that it can do it too. It's possible that that's what's causing this. Um, again, looking at the console log, uh, I, again, I, like I said, I've seen this. It doesn't cause any great processor strain or anything. It's just sort of sitting there and then becomes responsive. Along those lines, though, I found the bounce option doesn't really work. You're better off just uh, not doing anything, in my experience. But maybe you've maybe you've found different. So the second, the second, you want to 
You want to mention something well, there, John? One thing or? I want to, well, I just want to add one thing. So you were talking about certificates. We're, we're not going to go into a lot of detail about public key crypto and all that, but just right. a, a little side note here is if you go to your utilities folder, again, there's something called keychain access, and there is a certificates category. You may just want to make sure your certificates are in good shape. Yep. And actually, we're, I'm looking over a few of mine here, and I think you and I had done a encrypted.mac deal, and I just see that our certs are uh, expired. So we'll oh, yeah. So those. Yep. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> So anyways, and then and then yeah, we had a, a part part B or it part was two part this, two. Uh... Yep, uh, I decided to switch to Apple after 15 years of being a Windows user, and I must say I'm very Pray. pleased. Yeah, and hope to never have to go back. I have a small complaint though. I've had my MacBook for only three weeks, and already I had to download and install four updates: two macOS 10 updates, 160 megs each, and two iTunes updates, 70 and 27 megs. So in just three weeks, I had more than 400 megabytes of updates. Is this something regular? If it keeps like this, I'll have to buy a new hard disk soon. Please let me know. You want to take that, John? I would say that he probably ran into a, a, a stretch of things, like especially iTunes. They, they had a little oopsie. Um, and you and I, Dave, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm still stupid this way. I see an update. I download it and try it. But unfortunately, sometimes you... you probably should wait a little bit and I think so at least in the terms of the iTunes update I know there were especially some problems on the uh, on the Windows side right uh, with Vista from what I heard so um I would say that was an unusual string of uh, recent updates because normally I mean they, they keep it pretty infrequent I was actually surprised to see a 10.4.9 the only good news being that that hints that they have no more room left. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't go well, any farther. We got to get ten five. They, they could or do ten dot four nine. Ten dot four dot ten. You know. But the, oh, you could do that. <laughs> yeah, you oh, could. But then that would get away from single digit. But I guess the thing I wanted to mention was I was searching around because I wanted to figure did the latest up. So first off, no, the updates are not. You are not adding. You're not taking up all that disk space something gets deleted and a lot of times the packages will replace portions of the OS and, and replace them with newer versions that are more stable hopefully and and faster and all that but I guess you may wonder where do I find all this information like first off I was just curious what did 1049 do um, because we have another comment we may not get to that was talking about uh, memory management and I was like gee did 1049 address that and where you can go is if you go to library receipts then the name of the update, because what, what happens is when you install something, a little record of what happened is stored in a receipts folder in, your, in the, the top-level library folder. So in this case, for example, I was you know looking in Mac OS X UPD 10.pkg. That's a package. So in the receipts directory, you will see a list of packages. The interesting thing is that you can see the contents of what was installed by if you right-click or control-click on that package, you can then say open package. And I was thrilled the first time I tried this. So it, it actually hints at some of the elegance in OS X is that they kind of hide this from you because you probably don't need to know this, but if you want to, you yeah. can find it with a control-click. And then if you dig around, so in this case, I want to know specifically what the 10.4.9 update did as an example. Okay. And for most Apple installers, if you go to contents, resources, English.lproj, there's a file called su-description.html. We're oh. pegging the geek meter here. And that is the text that you see oh, normally go through software update. And it lists all that text. That's where it's stored. 
is in this HTML file. So you can uh, even open it in Safari. So if you poke around, from what I see in most apps, it's called su description.html. So that can, we may have gone off on a tangent no, here. Oh, dude, this is one. great. <laughs> is that you can find out what all these updates do. I mean, some people may put the description of what it does or they may not do it at all, but at least for the Apple updates, this is where you can find out, gee, what did that update do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the contents of the receipts folder is very interesting. Don't mess with it because as far as I know, that's kind of how, especially if you want to do an uninstall or an incremental install, yeah. I, I think some important stuff is stored in there because otherwise why would it put it in there? Right. Maybe it just puts it in there to uh, you know just keep a record of what happened. But no, uh, no, no. It, some it, things look it in uses there. It. Well, actually, yeah. yeah. yeah it to determine, it. gee, has something been applied already? I would imagine this is where it looks. Mm -hmm. Do I need this? Because I know sometimes it's doing some mojo with the uh, software update, and, and I'm sure a big part of that is looking in here to say, is this installed already? And I think that's what they do. They go to Apple, the, the Apple website, and they, they probably get a list of the updates, and then it's compared against what, uh, or either a file that contains that. I'm kind of speculating here, but I think we're probably somewhat on the mark. Yeah. So anyways, fascinating things in the receipts directory inside your library folder. I wanted to mention uh, PDF Pen version three is available for forty nine ninety five uh, US uh, from smileonmymac.com. I neglected to mention the price before, and I know how important that is, and I know I'll get emails from people saying how much. So there you go. Uh, do we want to move on to Rob? Where are we time wise here? You know what? Let's uh, let's talk about Philip emailed us uh, about it, sort of an unrelated problem, and we had an email exchange back and forth. One of the uh, one of the interesting things that Philip mentioned was a product called iFreeMem, and we'll put a link in the show notes because the URL is too much to spell. What iFreeMem does is, and it's available shareware, and I think there's I forget how much it is, but it's available for download. What it does is, you know how you have uh, when you start up your Mac, if you're if you're a menu meters guy like or gal, uh, like we are. And uh, you take a look, you'll see that you've got a lot of memory free and not so much inactive and then some active and wired. When you've got a lot of free memory and you launch an app, apps tend to launch pretty quickly. If you've got very little free memory but a lot inactive, apps tend to take a little while longer to launch. And mm. what iFreeMem does is, with a little bit of mojo behind the scenes, safely at least as far as i can tell clears out all your inactive memory or as much of it as it can and frees it up now this will cause some apps to uh, to to have a little lag the next time you go into them as it sort of replenishes that but it for my money it cleans out a lot of the cruft that's out there i, I know we're going to hear from some purists saying don't mess with memory management but you know maybe this goes back to the os 9 days for me I find that when my system gets to a point where there's a lot of inactive memory and very little free memory, mm -hmm. launching apps and moving around can sometimes get really slow. And uh, and running iFreeMem and letting it clean out or you know convert all that, if you will, makes a big difference. So it it it's worth checking out. Uh, we'll put a link again. Put a link in the show notes and uh, yeah, and go from there. So, but I, I think used... it's a good balance, though. It I, I think people probably shouldn't do what you did. A couple of weeks ago, which is to totally clobber the uh, the pager process. That's right. 
Yes, that I I don't um, recommend that, that's, that. That's extreme, and yeah, well, you we thought about why. It's I, just, I, I got some e- I got some emails from people saying, "Thank you for being much braver than I am," uh, and and I think braver could be replaced with a variety of words that sound a whole lot less valiant. Uh, but uh, but we'll leave it as that because it makes me feel good. But this sounds like a good balance that it's it's kind of nudging the system in the right direction to you know clear things out with a bit without being too uh, traumatic. Yeah, you know, it, it it's it's the kind of thing that would make sense to run if if you've just quit a bunch of apps or if you're about to run. I know I do it when I'm about to run parallels because I know parallels is going to glom onto a whole bunch of RAM and uh, so freeing up as much as I can and making it actually free sort of pushes like you said it pushes the system in the right direction it it, it allows it to to grab the right stuff so because i've noticed uh, the, the app in my book that i have the big or, or i noticed the most benefit by quitting yeah or restarting is oh, it seems safari is that man. my system like a lot of folks i think is that i i don't restart my portable i just put it to sleep right and i'll surf in the morning i'll put it to sleep i get home i'll surf some more and eventually after several several days because i surf to a lot of different websites i'll notice that my the the ram reported by menu meters is is huge and i'm like how did it like even now it's it's eight, 900 megabytes and i'm like what is using all that right so i don't know so i'd imagine this I, i'm going to try it to uh, free up the memory but uh but yeah i quit and come back and it's just you know the more you surf i think the quicker that's going to happen the more you surf, the quicker it'll happen. That may be true. It, it, yeah, I, I found that. You open a lot of tabs, and Safari just bloats up. So, I always quit Safari or try to quit Safari on my my uh, portable before I leave it for the day. So, yeah, and I'm I'm just surfing the news sites, you know. Of course you are. And I have uh, a lot of graphics. Business graphics, <laughs> we call them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so feedback at macgeekgab.com is the uh, the email address to use. Of course, all the other new methods. Improved. The new and improved. That's right. It's sort of and and we've also changed the way the GUID is is on all future feeds. This or not or future episodes in the feed to kind of keep things clean. We've been trying to just clean everything up uh, on the back end. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, feedback at macgeekgab.com. Two zero six 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 geek, which is John. Four three three five. Nice. So two zero six 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 four three three five. You can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and that's automatically routed to our uh, our voicemail number. So there's no Ooh. problem. That's right. It just gets right to us. We don't even know. Actually, it's great. We like it when uh, things all come to the same place. It makes prepping for the show simple. Uh, hmm. Cashfly hosting is where you've downloaded this show from. The podcast marketplace includes the 6i isolator earphones from Edimotic, the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Audible at audible.com, and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is hard at work placing your ads on this show and others. In fact, we have a big announcement this week that I don't think has been announced yet, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, MacCast has joined the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, and we are very proud to have Adam Christensen as part of the network. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm stoked we about this. We saw him at Macworld. That was cool. We, we saw Adam at Macworld. Yeah. That's right. And at the Podcast Expo and uh, various mm, other places. All over the place. A welcome, yeah, addition not, welcome addition not only to the community, but uh, to our little home here at Backbeat Media. Now we get, did, did you do the, uh, you know, the kind of initiation 
No, we haven't okay. done that yet. Uh, okay. We, we we'll won't talk about, about that. that. Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> after we sign off here. Uh, we have Gmail invites, but you don't need them anymore. Uh, yeah, they kind of opened that up. Right? They did. They opened uh, that up. That's right. You know, it, it's not on the list here. Nation states? There's yeah. a few new uh, few new uh, issues I looked today. Did you really? It's been a while. I, I haven't been on in about uh, two weeks, so uh, yeah, I, yeah. I try to I try to stay logged in occasionally. So nation states at nationstates.com. Join the Geeks Unite region. Are you sure it's dot com? I thought it was. No, net. you're right. Thank you. It's nationstates.net.net.net. Dot net. Dot net. That's right. And I have 13 telegrams and five issues, so I haven't been here in a little while. And 1.247 yeah. billion people. All right, that's it. Let's get out of here. 206666 geek. MacGeekGab.com for the show notes. John will have them up within minutes of the show being live. Or minutes. Minutes is kind of like Martian time if, uh, if you grok what I'm saying. Well, you can measure anything in minutes, which I like. <laughs> you didn't say how many minutes. No, I didn't. It was. You know, everywhere is walking distance if you have the time. It's that same sort of concept. Just don't, uh, oh. don't get caught. Made up.